Well, as we make our way towards Easter, we find ourselves taking a look at the triumphal entry. Join us, Graceful Truth, with Pastor Steve Converse is coming up. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, welcome to Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Over the course of the next couple of Sundays, we'll spend our time looking at the triumphal entry as recorded for us here in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. It's here that we get the foundation laid before us for what we'll celebrate in about three weeks' time, that being Easter. We would invite you to join us today as we understand what our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, went through that you and I might have eternal peace with God. It's amazing and what a delight to be able to share with one another in Christ the glory of Easter. So without further ado, let's catch up with our teacher and pastor, now Steve Converse, with this edition of Graceful Truth. You can turn over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 gives us one of the gospel accounts of Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem on this day several thousand years ago. Before we get into our text this morning, um, did anyone watch Canada defeat the Americans uh, in the hockey gold medal deal? Anybody watch that several weeks ago, some of you? Um, Odds are most of you have seen replays of it. Uh, there was an estimated 17 million Canadians, more than half of the population of Canada, tuned in to that game. They made it the most watched TV broadcast in Canadian history. And if you watched it, it was a nail-biter. It was, it was a good, good hockey match. When America tied the game with only a couple seconds left, Many thought the dream was over. But the winning goal from Canada came only seven minutes and 40 seconds into overtime. Sidney Crosby from Canada scored against the U.S. goalie Ryan Miller in overtime to give Canada the Olympic men's hockey gold medal. Amazing defeat for our country and an incredible win for theirs. At least it was them and not somebody like Russia or somebody. You know. At least they're kind of an ally. I guess we can take heart in that. But if you watched any kind of news broadcast after that as far as sports is concerned on TV, you see this thing, this goal constantly being rewound and rewound and replayed and replayed. And as soon as the goal was made, I mean, people just went berserk. Well, at least half of them did <laughs> who were gathered there. And uh, many were very happy at that moment, but others... Obviously, Americans were very much disappointed and frustrated. And the one thing I started to think about is no matter what sporting event you go to, usually half of the crowd, more or less, is rooting for the team or against the other team or vice versa. It's kind of split into some kind of percentage, maybe not exactly half. But there's people who are gathered there who are for those who are winning and for the losers and vice versa. And it seems that when we, when we see things like that, it doesn't matter what the event is. Different people are going to respond differently to the same event. I mean, how the Americans responded when he hit that puck in the goal wasn't going to pull that puck back out. It wasn't going to change the outcome of the game. 
And the way the Canadians responded wasn't going to change the outcome outcome of the match. And we see that, really, when we look at Christ riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. We see three distinct groups of people who were present. We see those who are happy. We see those who are sad. And basically, there's another group that just could care less. You see them at games, too, a lot of times, at sporting events. They're the ones that are, you know, just kind of looped out of their mind or whatever. And they, they don't know who's winning. They're just cheering, you know. <laughs> they could care less. They're just there to party. And it's the same thing here as we look into our text this morning. We're going to see three groups of people. Today is Palm Sunday. And this is remembered because it's the day Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem a week before his crucifixion. I remember Palm Sunday always got me excited as I was growing up in the Catholic faith because Palm Sunday meant that Lent was almost over. And inevitably, every year at Lent as a Catholic, as a young boy, I would always give up candy or even more generically, sweets. And, oh, I used to just hate it. And then they came up with some rule, well, on Sunday you can eat, but you know, the rest of the day you can't. So I used to gorge myself on Sundays <clears throat> and break Lent because it was Sunday. I don't know if that was a real rule or not, or our family just made it up, but whatever, we did that. But I remember thinking Palm Sunday, we got the little palms from the, the priest, who, which were blessed, and, and I remember thinking, yeah, just a couple more days, and we'll be able to eat our Easter eggs and all the candy that's in our Easter basket. <laughs> Because Easter was very much a disconnected holiday from my faith. I mean, we knew that Jesus rose from the dead, but we also knew somehow the Easter bunny came. So that meant more to us than Jesus rising from the grave. But just like a sporting event, we're going to see three distinct groups of people that were here when Jesus rose in. We're going to see those who saw triumph. We're going to see those who saw tragedy. And we're also going to see those who just kind of missed the whole thing. They had no real interest, and they didn't see any significance in the events of that day. Well, I want to give you a little illustration this morning of someone else who rode into a village, and there's a lot of pomp and circumstance, a lot of expense made to make this little entourage possible. And on December 4th, 1977, in Bangui, the capital of a Central African empire, the world press witnessed the coronation of his imperial majesty, the I. The price tag for that single event, which was designed and choreographed by, by the way by French designer Oliver Bryce, was $25 million. That was back in 1977 for a single coronation. At 10.10 that morning, the blare of trumpets and the roll of drums announced the approach of his majesty. And the, the procession began with eight of Bokasa's 29 official children parading down the royal carpet to their seats. And they were followed by Jean Bedel Bokasa II, heir to the throne, dressed in a white admiral's uniform with gold braid. He was seated on a red pillow to the left of the throne. Catherine followed, the favorite of Bokasa's nine wives. She was wearing a $73,000 gown made by Levin of, her, of Paris, strewn with pearls she had picked out herself. The emperor arrived in an imperial coach, bed-decked with gold eagles and drawn by six matched Anglo-Norman horses. 
When the marine band blared the sacred march of his majesty, Emperor Bokasaw I, his highness strode forth, cloaked in a 32-pound robe decorated with 785,000 strewn pearls and gold embroidery. White gloves adorned his hands, pearl slippers his feet. On his brow he wore a crown, a gold crown, of laurel wreaths like those worn by Roman Romans of old, a symbol of favor of the gods. As the sacred march came to a conclusion, Bokasaw seated himself on his $2.5 million eagle throne, took his gold laurel reef off, and as Napoleon 173 years earlier had done, took his $2.5 million crown, which was topped off, listen to this ladies, with an 80 carat diamond. And he placed it on his own head. At 10.43, December 4th, 1977, the 20th century saw a new emperor. History tells us, mercifully, Bokasaw's reign was not as imposing as his coronation because just two years later, while Bokasaw was out of the country, the French engineered a successful coup. But unfortunately, it came too late for many of his victims. Among them, 200 children who had been executed because they complained about the expense of their school uniforms. Bokasaw did his best to establish an enduring kingdom, but he failed infamously. And so, you know what? It's that way with the kings and the rulers of the earth on which we live. Try as they will, even though they cling tightly to all their garb and all their wealth and their riches, when death comes, they always lose it. <laughs> they always lose their empire, their kingdom their kingdoms, they leave it all behind. But every Palm Sunday, I want you to remember, every Palm Sunday, and often at other times, we worship a king, the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we rejoice with him because it was not so for that king of kings. He died, but he rose again from the dead. Now let's read out of Luke 19, beginning in verse 28, just the, so we can get the, the feeling of what's going on that day as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Now, if you remember, right before this, uh, he's done a lot of different miracles. He uh, raised uh, Lazarus from the dead. So there's a lot of people interested in Jesus Christ. Anybody that raised anybody from the dead was a, a person of interest. Verse 28, it says, When he had said this, he went on ahead, coming up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. Now right about then, I probably would have said, Wait a minute, Lord, how, how do you know that this thing's going to be there? But he's God, so he obviously knew it. Verse 32, So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosening the colt, the owners of it said to him, Why are you loosening the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus. And they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes out on the road ahead of him. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, 
Rebuke your disciples. But he answered and he said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you especially, in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And then he went into the temple and he began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything, for all the people were attentive to hear him. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. People, hordes of people were following the Lord Christ at this point in time. You know, that's, if, if somebody starts to raise people from the dead, usually people will, that attracts people, Right? I mean, if I, if I knew somebody in Redwood City that was raising people from the dead, I'd want to go see it, wouldn't you? I mean, that would just be an incredible thing to see. Well, you have to understand, Bethany, where the Lazarus was, is about two and a half miles southeast of Jerusalem. And Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And he stopped off in Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead and visit the family. And now word came back as it kind of spread out in the crowd that he's coming to Jerusalem. And throughout the entire city, everyone was talking about what Jesus had just done with Lazarus, raising him from the dead. I mean, you could just kind of imagine this, you know, as the kind of the, the word spreads out like wildfire. This guy actually raised somebody from the dead. And it didn't take long for word to spread from Bethany to Jerusalem. And so there was a lot of rumors flying around about this Jesus and who he was or who he wasn't. Everyone had their own mental, maybe, picture in their mind of what he looked like and what he did and some of the things. And maybe if he could raise somebody from the dead, maybe he could bless me and my family. So, hey, we've we got to go to Jerusalem and see this guy. That's where he's going. And so, thousands and thousands and thousands and even millions of people were gathered because it was the Passover in preparation there at this time. And when they heard Jesus had raised, from the, raised somebody from the dead, that even confirmed their expectations of him. And so they began to just kind of incredibly come to this city. Now, in the story, we see that he's, he's making this trip, and it says that he rode the colt of a donkey. And he rode on this road path kind of a thing on this on this on this colt and people began to lay down their their clothes and they really believed that he was going to be the the king the one who's going to overthrow the roman government he's going to take everything back and give him back their rights and boy this is the man look at all the power he has and they were excited all the the, the jewish people of his day and so this incredible crowd was pressing in around him and making kind of way as he, as he rode in. Conservative estimates, you go by the census of that day, say that there were 256,000 lambs sacrificed in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. 
And that means about an average of 10 people for each lamb. And so you're, you're talking upwards of 3 million people. Practicing Jews gathered there at this point in time. There could have been easily millions of people in the streets. And what they were screaming was Hosanna, which means save now. That's what that word means. The text in John 12, if you look at that gospel, it says that the, uh, there was a multitude of people. And what that means in the original language is a big one, a big group of people, okay? Just a, an incredibly large gathering. And in chapter 12, verse 19 of John, of course, the Pharisees hated Jesus. We've been seeing that throughout Matthew. And at this point, they basically threw up their hands and they thought, you know, the whole world is following this guy. We're going to lose our power. We have to do something. And so picture this in your mind. Jesus is entering the city. He's entering the city where there's probably a million people screaming, Hosanna, save now. The Pharisees are standing off behind all these hordes of people, plotting and trying to come up with a plan, figuring out what can we do to overturn this man's religious following. And in that crowd, as Jesus rode in, basically there was different kinds of people. Um, Luke's account of the triumphal entry of Christ can bring to our souls a kingdom touch, a kind of a, a regal understanding. Jesus was at the end of a journey. And this journey began nine months before when he purposefully began zigzagging back and forth. If you plot where he went throughout the Gospels, you can see him almost zigzagging, zigzagging back and forth throughout Galilee and Samaria and Perea and finally Judea. And this is his final journey. Of his ministry. He administered probably, commentaries tell us, in at least 35 localities. And each trip was time just right in order to end up at Jerusalem in the end at the time of the Passover. Now it's the Passover, and he was back in Bethany on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Expectations were running high, and he makes his way toward Jerusalem. And the religious leaders are figuring out, trying to figure out how they can kill him, get rid of him, discredit him. Well, the first group of people I see here in verses 37 and 38 are those who are interested in the triumph of Palm Sunday. Um, look at what it says in verse 37. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples, and that just means followers, that's not necessarily the 12 disciples. A disciple is just somebody who follows somebody. It doesn't even necessarily mean they were Christians. They could have just been following Jesus to see the miracles. We don't know. But it says, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. And they said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is a week before the cross. Where Jesus enters into Jerusalem to the cries and praise and worship of all these people. That's why it's called the triumphal entry. And it was at this time that Jesus was kind of at the apex of his 
public ministry. He was recognized by many as being the Messiah, that one who is sent from God. Matthew, it says, Hosanna to the son of David. Mark says, Hosanna, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. John says, blessed is the king of Israel. And as I said, that word Hosanna means save us now. Save us now. It was an expression of praise that they would use. And so these crowds, this first group, the the group that received him, recognized who Jesus was. Because they said, well, they recognized him because of all these miracles that he had done. A week later, a similar scene took place on the cross. Just as when Jesus came into Jerusalem, there were three groups of people, those who were received him, who were interested in the triumph, those who were interested in the tragedy, who rejected him, and those who just didn't care. One week later, as Jesus hung on the cross... One of the thieves, the Bible says, who was nailed to a cross beside Jesus, comes to Christ. He recognized his crime, the Bible says, and he knew he was getting exactly what he deserved. He had broken the law and he was receiving punishment for it, and he was willing to own up to it. And that thief cried out, Hosanna. That thief cried out, save me now. He recognized Christ as the Messiah. It's a simple declaration of a man hanging on a cross moments, if not seconds, from death itself. And he cried out with a simple declaration of faith and trust in who Christ was. And he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Which indicated that he realized that Christ was the Messiah, that Christ was the king. And Jesus responded to his request with an affirmation and with the promise of salvation. You remember what he said? He said, today you will be what? With me in paradise. There's no theological arguments attached here. He didn't have him jump through a bunch of hoops. He didn't have him pray a sinner's prayer. He simply received the gift of eternal life. And he's literally on his deathbed, or in his case, death cross. Christ had a way of putting people at ease when it came close to death, if they knew who he was. The Bible says we don't need to fear death anymore. Because Christ has died and has risen again victorious over sin and death. We no longer need to fear the grave. You have been listening to Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, who will return in just a moment with a closing thought and invitation for you here on Graceful Truth. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible-teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Pastor Steve will have details and information here in just a moment. Also, if you would like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit our website, gracefultruth.org. 
Well, as promised, once again, to close out today's broadcast, here's Pastor Steve Converse. Steve? Thanks, Andy. I'd just like to share a few brief thoughts with our listening audience as we close out today's program. In closing, I just want to remind us that it's the time of the year when we as followers of Jesus Christ, the church, are looking forward to the coming celebration of not only the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf, but also his glorious resurrection three days later. We'd like to invite you out to our Good Friday service, April 22nd at 6.30 p.m. here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We plan on having a wonderful time of worship and teaching from God's Word, as well as a time of communion together as the body of Christ. That's 6.30 p.m., April 22nd, Good Friday, here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We'll also be having our Resurrection Sunday service at 10 a.m. on Easter Sunday. Once again, thanks for listening to Graceful Truth each weekend, and it would be a wonderful encouragement to us to hear from you about how this program has been a blessing to your hearts. Please contact us on the web at gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org, or you can call us here at Graceful Truth, 650-366-9923, 650-366-9923. Our address, once again, to request the uh, CDs on discipleship is Graceful Truth, 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, California, 94061. We here at Graceful Truth will be praying for you and your family that you may have a wonderful and glorious Resurrection Sunday together as we celebrate our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Steve. And friend, thank you for spending time with us here today. Next week, we'll continue our look at the Easter celebration that you and I as Christians so passionately love and embrace. Until then, God bless. 